church number. Uh, I think you can call me. You definitely can text me from there. And Facebook. You can message me on Facebook. So, been a crazy time. <clears throat> Alrighty. Last week, um, you know, I had a uh, message ready, but then that silly war started in Israel, and it forced me to have to teach on that, which was a blessing, because um, those other sermons can wait. Things are happening right now in this day and age that are pretty uh, compelling. Uh, when we look at scripture. And last week, we looked at how uh, this this war, the Psalm 83, war of extermination, is a sign leading up to the rapture. Uh, there are signs leading up to the rapture. And today, we're going to talk about, well, what do we do while we're waiting? What do we do while we're waiting? We, individually and humanity around the world, have been created by God to live in a certain time period for a time. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a beginning and an end. And... When I, th- when I think about this, it's much like bookends. You know, you have a bookend on one end, a bookend on the other end, and you have all your books in between them, all the materials in between them, all the actions between the bookends. And if we, if we kind of look at humanity's time period, we have bookends, one on the, the beginning and one on the, the end. And in between those two bookends... We have time to do whatever the Lord allows between those bookends, between the beginning and between what we know is coming. Outside the bookends is a spiritual realm of eternity. And eternity existed before us. It existed before that first bookend, the creation. And it will exist after the last bookend, the end, with us, we will be in eternity. We will move from being confined in time into eternity as we take on our immortal body. Sound spooky already? (laughs) So right now, we're in that cauldron of messy humanity between those bookends. And the question is, what are we going to do while we wait for the day of the Lord to begin? What are we going to do? What has God called us to do? What is Scripture teaching us to do? We want to try to get God's view of this from above. You know, He's looking down on time, He's looking down on humanity and observing. And we can kind of picture the Godhead in heaven and you know, knowing the end from the beginning because he's outside of time. 
At some point, he decides to send his son down into that mess between the bookends to carry the Father's message for humanity. And he, the son lives out the message and he demonstrates the power of God only to return back to heaven via the veil of the flesh. While Jesus was here, he planted a church using 14 men. I'm saying the 12 apostles plus Paul and Matthias. And this church was made up of people. And there would be many churches in locations all around the world. And they would be purposed in carrying on the ministry begun by Jesus, the Son, and those 14 men. So we are waiting for the return of Jesus, and we have a common salvation. <coughs> In other words, our salvation is only through this one man, Jesus. So we have a common salvation. We don't all have different kinds of salvation. We're either saved or we're not. So these churches that they planted were to get together regularly. And they were to grow together towards a maturity in Christ, hastening towards that day when the Son would return to gather them up. They, they look at <coughs> humanity. They look at the church, especially as the bride of Christ. He's going to return to gather up his bride. <coughs> While waiting... Uh, the church, these, these beautiful people in the church would look and be different than the community around them. Not unexpectedly, there would be problems swirling around and within these groups of people. God made sure that advice and instructions were written down for them, the people to learn, to learn from and refer back to often. You see, God knew what was going to happen. So that's how he could write these things out in advance to tell us when this happens, this is what I want you to do. Fascinating. So in fact, Jesus, while he was here, gave his people, he gave his church the signs to look for as time rolled on, which would announce the main event we are waiting for. The main event. What is that main event we're waiting for? It's the rapture. It's when the bridegroom comes back to gather up his bride because that kicks off the day of the Lord. The, the rapture is the next spiritual event. The wars and rumors of wars are signs. It's not the event. The things that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 24 and Mark 13, those were signs. These things would happen 
as a sign of what was to come. But what we are living in and what we are waiting for as Christians, as the bride of Christ, is that rapture to be gathered up to heaven with Jesus. And then kicks off an amazing set of events, which we won't be going into today. But So if this current war that's happening over in Israel draws in other specific people groups and nations against Israel, this rapture might well be right on the horizon. Isn't that amazing to think that we could be that generation that experiences the rapture, that lives through it? We've never seen a time where it was any closer than it is today. I think that often what we struggle with is believing that a prophecy is now happening, right? I mean, you live your life, something's going to happen. You always live with that event in the future. But when that event comes, I would dare say many of us are shocked. We're kind of surprised. Wow, is this really happening? I mean, this whole time I've been waiting, is this really happening right now? Have you ever experienced that in other, other facets in life? I have. Is that one of the reasons the Jews were next to Jesus? Because yeah. that was a future event in their mind and they couldn't wrap their brain around the fact that it was happening there. Yeah, yeah, good example. So <clears throat> Ezekiel 39 describes the first Gog-Magog war against Israel and it names the nations, the nations that exist today that will be coming against Israel. So we are actively waiting. We're not just sitting here on our fannies waiting for something astounding to happen. We should be actively waiting. That's, you know, that's a mixed waiting and adverb, actively waiting. So it would be defined as a deliberate and positive way in an energetic or vigorous way. Do you think of waiting that way? Probably not. But when we're actively waiting for something to happen in God's calendar, that is our attitude. Contrary, we are not to sit down, quit working, and watch the wars <laughs> on CNN. So Jesus' brother Jude wrote, and he said... I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in. Unnoticed, those were here long before and marked out for this condemnation ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master, our Lord Jesus Christ. So, as God is looking down on that cauldron of humanity and he sends his son down and uh, Jesus does all that they had planned for him to do and returns back to heaven, 
all those beautiful people that are now in those churches that are planted around the world. God was watching them as they struggled with those people creeping into their families and their churches, abusing grace, abusing God's word. Not, not, not just rejecting God's word, but bringing false teaching in bringing false things in to the church. And it caused the church to struggle. All right, turn with me to Jude. It's right before, welcome. It's right before uh, Revelation, just a page or two long. And we're going to begin with verse 17. Are you there? But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own godly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some, have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. This is fascinating. Jude wrote this back in the first century. And it's probably never been more relevant than it is right this moment. That we are living in this same time or atmosphere that they were. When Jesus said that he was going to return soon to them back in the first century, they thought he meant soon. And here we are, 2,000 years later, and boy, if, it isn't, if soon doesn't start to... Uh, perk us up, I don't know when it will. So, I find that this scripture, this this teaching, this warning is so relevant to us today. We need to perk up a little bit and realize there, there are things happening that have not happened before. There are things that he just told us that we should be doing because we don't have much time left. Have mercy on some. <clears throat> What's a mocker? He said in the last times there would be mockers. A mocker is a person who disobeys God while pretending to be interested. It could be a person who skeptically questions God's word. It's perfectly fine, if not a positive thing to question God's word, but not with a skeptic attitude. 
not with unbelief, but question it because you want to know, you, you need to know. So these, these mockers drove the rest of these people in these beautiful churches crazy, such that Paul had to tell the churches how to react and how to get along when you see this happening. And that's the message that we need today. That's what we need to hear today, what we need to follow. Because what's happening out in the world that is pushing in on us, that is impacting us, is confusing, it's deceitful, and we need to know how to stand firm. We need to know how to stand up against this, because we can't stop it from coming. In fact, Jesus said it is going to come. It is part of their plan. So we need to know how to react. And it starts right here with us as a body, as a fellowship, as a church. He says, have mercy on those who are doubting. So often, we can get so highfalutin that if somebody doubt something in the Word of God, you know, we cut them down. We, we uh, you know, make fun of them or we uh, put them down. Instead, we have to have mercy on them. We shouldn't be criticizing them. Just realize that as the great theologian uh, Bob Hill said, I'm just not there yet. I'll never um, you know, we're, we're cruising along in our faith. We're growing. Right? And we may not just be there yet. So don't put someone down just because they're not quite there yet. If they're doubting, I mean, whew, we've got some pretty serious things to make us want to doubt. So our faith has to grow. So have mercy on those that are doubting. Have mercy on those who are in the fire of the world. Some people, it just seems like the world is crashing in on them. It's overwhelming them. And you say, wow, how, how come that person or those people are suffering so much? What is going on there? You know, And, and we want to judge them because in the midst of all of that fire, they're not behaving the way maybe we who are not in the fire are behaving. Or maybe how they were behaving before the fire started. So have mercy on those that are in the fire of the world. And there are those that are controlled by the lust of the flesh. We need to have mercy on them. We need to um, have a heartfelt mercy for them rather than judging them or criticizing them or um, pushing them out. Have mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is that benevolence, mildness, or tenderness of heart which disposes a person to overlook injuries. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to give mercy, to overlook injuries, to rather be wronged? I'd rather be, you have to add to, I'd rather be wronged than my brother or sister have to suffer or be hurt. Um, Mercy allows a person to treat an offender better than he deserves. 
I think I asked somebody this morning how they were doing, and they said, I'm better than I deserve. <laughs> that's mercy. Yeah, that's what God treats us. Um, it causes a, a disposition that tempers justice and induces an injured person to forgive trespasses and injuries and to forbear punishment or inflict less law or justice than the justice will warrant. <clears throat> so when we hear of a wrong suffered by someone in our, our fellowship, are we ready to pull out our sword or gun or slingshot and go after the, the offender? Or do we counsel the person? I'm not asking you to raise your hand. Who did what? Or do we do we counsel the person that's offended? Say, you know, what did, what did God do for you when you were that way? Um Maybe there's a better way, a more productive way to handle this situation. Instead of jumping on the bandwagon and going chasing after the person. Have mercy. Or We're going to do the shoot on our standards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, come take it out at the Amazing Grace Gun Club. Um, so we are to grant mercy to others because God has granted mercy to us. I mean, for no other reason than that. And then there's many other reasons that follow from that, if we will do that. So, as we were singing this morning, stand strong, stand firm. Paul wrote the church <laughs> explaining how to hang on during these tough times when they're discouraged and inclined to give up. You may be totally frustrated with things that are going on and, and you feel powerless because you can't change it and you want to just say, ah, the heck with it. But he's he's written to us in the Word. So we, as we said earlier, we need to go to the Bible. What does the Bible say? And that's what we're looking at today. Um, things are going to happen that will test the faith of all of these beautiful people in the churches. It, it is ordained. They... Jesus said, expect it. And he even listed out so many of them for us. Turn with me to uh, 2 Aspen Springs, chapter 2. I say 2 Aspen Springs because uh, this, this letter is appropriate today. To us, right here. <clears throat> and we're going to be chapter 2, beginning with verse 13. Second Aspen Springs, chapter 2, verse 13. Are you there? <clears throat> but we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren. Beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't because 
you were the best looking person around. It wasn't because you were the best behaved person around. It wasn't because you had the best house or family around. He called you through faith, through Jesus, for a purpose, salvation through sanctification. <laughs> Verse 14, it was for this, he called you, oh, I already read that, 15. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace. Comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. Chapter 3. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. And that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. And he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. Now may we now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, and not according to the tradition which you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because you did not act in an undisciplined manner among you. Or we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in a quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of them and do not associate with them so that he will be put to shame. Yet, do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Whoa! We've kind of departed from one another time, haven't we? Feels like it. Well, first, note the methods of teaching that, that Paul and the other uh, apostles were using and doing. <clears throat> Spoken or written communications, um, leading by example. So God's method is, 
in any one of those is people to people. If we can't get along with each other here, maybe we're not fit for heaven. We're going to be living together forever. So Paul, Jude, Peter, and James taught them how to live as followers in grace and is admonishing them to continue to walk in this. That's what he was saying. We came among you. We lived among you. We didn't lord it over you. We served you. We helped. We did this, that, and the other thing. To be an example or a model to you. And that's a call for each of us. That is what we should do. Not just particular people, but all of us should be that example. But some just won't do this. They won't listen. They won't learn. Uh, scripture says, perverse and evil men will pursue us and aim to do us harm. Some just will not be saved or walk in the newness of life. They're hard-hearted, hard-headed. How are we to react to these frustrating situations? How are we to carry on while confusion and violence swirls all around us? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I got an answer from the Bible. So let's kind of take our minds back to that swirling time between those spiritual bookends, those time bookends and that cauldron of humanity. <clears throat> we remember what we just read. And we say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do not associate with someone? How is this loving one another? This is strong medicine, Kimosabi. <laughs> well, first, note that there is individual salvation and then there's group membership. Our salvation should result in Jesus-like behavior within the body that Jesus assembles. Each one of us here is here because Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, drew us here. We might have just figured, ah, it looks like a great place to go. I stumbled on it. But the Holy Spirit was working in your life in those moments, directing you here. He has put this crazy group together because he felt that each one of us was needed to be here for the other crazy people. <laughs> so note that the method Paul is teaching us. Do not think of the unruly brother as an enemy, but as a brother. That's tough, isn't it? Um, admonish him or warn or reprimand him as a relative you're concerned about. In other words, if we have a fracture in our relationship, we don't cease to be brother and sister. We don't cease to be family, but we have to. We may have to make some changes in our daily relationship. We may have to communicate some things to our brother or sister that are that's strong medicine, and it may not be received. So we have to do it with love 
and recognizing that no matter what, they're still our brother or sister. As Paul says later in Hebrews, even God disciplines us as his children. And it's up to the wayward person to decide what they're going to do about the discipline or the admonishment. So let me kind of go back through a, a summary of the commands that were found in this passage we just went through. This is, uh, I'm just repeating them as a bullet list. It'll help us remember them as the week goes on. <clears throat> Firstly, do not be shaken or deceived. Do not be shaken or deceived. It is very tempting with all the news that's going on and all the wars that are going on to be shaken or deceived. So how do we keep from being shaken or deceived? We seek truth. We look at scripture and scripture will tell us these are these things are going to happen and here's what you should do. <laughs> stand firm. How can we stand firm when we've got this tidal wave coming at us? It's because we know the end of the story. We know where we're going. Hold to the traditions you were taught. And these are the traditions out of scripture that you were taught. Um, the face-to-face -face examples, the models of our brothers and sisters in our body. <clears throat> he says, keep away from brothers who lead an unruly life. Does that mean to hate them and not talk to them? No. But don't join in with them on their unruliness. Try to restore them with gentleness. Don't participate. Don't condemn. But rather try to draw them back in with mercy. Do not eat without paying for it, but labor so as not to be an undue burden. Paul was speaking this in the context of Jesus is returning soon. So some of the people in the church said, oh, soon. Okay, I got that. It took me a couple weeks. Huh? Hey, boss, I'm quitting my job. Jesus is coming back. I'm just going to hang out. And, you know, after a couple weeks, we're not money. They need a little food. So they would go to the church and say, hey, I need some food. And, and the church at that time was supporting people. Um, but yet these people were easily able to work or contribute in some fashion. So don't, don't get too far out in left field on this, um, this command because um, there are times when you're sick, uh, you're between jobs, um, broken body, whatever. And don't take this um, to the extreme of, on the food pantry. You know, that food is there for you no matter what. But what Paul is telling us is this is better. So you may not be able to work, but you can certainly help out at the food pantry. You know, you can certainly help out at other ministries in the church and fulfill what Paul is saying here. Uh, be willing to work. Work in a quiet fashion. Um, do not be a busybody. What's a busybody? 
A busybody is a meddling person, one who officiously concerns himself with the affairs of others, without asking. Um, often, busybodies are those who have idle hands. They aren't working. They aren't contributing to ministry. Um, and, they, and they go around spreading gossip because they have the time to do that. So don't be a busybody. Uh, do not grow weary of doing good. Oh, man. I know we all at times get to a point where, you know, man, this just isn't working out. This is no longer any fun. Uh, I'm tired. I don't want to go help anymore. Those crazy people don't deserve it. We grow weary of doing good. He said, do not grow weary in doing good. He tells us that because he knows it's an inclination of ours. And, and that we could grow weary. <clears throat> so, just finishing up, kind of wrapping up this packet, this uh, message today in just a little bow here. We have this fellowship between those bookends, you know, the one in the beginning and one in the end. We have a time of fellowship. <coughs> and it won't always seem flowery or spiritually purposed or a walk in the park. There may be times where it's a little bit of a challenge, a little bit of a struggle. But the Christian life boils down to whether your aim is self-centered or other-centered. You know, Jesus tells us to be other-centered. And our natural inclination is to be self-centered. And we've got to come out of that. We, You know, that will cause us problems. And about those people that are creeping in with uh, um, causing division and they're worldly-minded and they're devoid of the Spirit, those people that are creeping in, <laughs> and truth be known, we invite them in because we're believing for a milk in their life. But about them, because some come in with um, devilish purposes, not because they're seeking. What about them? <coughs> Can't we just cast the demon out of them? Those who are just being plain old stubborn, they're refusing to learn, refusing to walk in the spirit. They're refusing to be discipled or sanctified. Well, the first question is, is it a demon? Really, is it, is it a demon manifesting in that person? Could be, but is it also something else? Some just refuse to let go of their friend. Their friend of misery, their friend of self-centeredness, you know, their, their friend of destruction. They've gotten so used to it, that's all they're used to. That's, they don't know how to let go. They don't want to let go. We then are called to have mercy on them, hating the garment of flesh. What does that mean? What is a garment of flesh? The garment of flesh is sin. Sin is the garment of flesh. 
Have mercy on those who are caught up in, in immorality, but with fear. What does that mean? That's kind of odd. Fear of God so that the Christian who is trying to restore the person doesn't get sucked into the same things. <coughs> For example, if, if uh, as a man, we encounter one of our brothers and let's say they're um, involved in pornography, they're addicted to it, they, you know, are really being destroyed by it. And we come along and, and we want to minister to them. We want to have mercy on them. We want to disciple them. We have to be careful. We don't say, hey, show me what you're looking at. And then maybe I can help you. Because, you know, sin can come after any of us. And we don't want to get sucked into that. If you um, suffer with alcoholism, you don't want to go to a bar and try to cure everybody else's alcoholism because you're going to be sucked right into it. Now, these are just examples of what he means. And at the end of the day, we are never, never, ever <coughs> to give up. We're to stand strong, to stand firm. <clears throat> Because that bookend of time, that end one, is drawing ever closer every day. God sees, he looks down in that swirly mass of humanity from heaven, and he sees all these pinpoints of light, and hopefully that's us, that are going out and talking to others and helping others. And as we run into people who are deceived and fearful, because there are a lot of people out there that are getting more and more deceived and more and more fearful. Um, just in the last week, I'm sure you've started to run into people that are really questioning what's going on with Israel. I get crazy messages on texting, not, not from any of you. <laughs> um, where they're just repeating some of the paranoia that's on the news. Um, they're not looking at their scripture to see what does this mean, what's really happening here. Um, so it's less important that we have a know-it-all attitude. We shouldn't withdraw from admonishing, exhorting, teaching, discipling our brother or sister because we don't know it all. And we shouldn't also put on an air of knowing it all. We should remain humble and teachable. And don't get hung up on all the minutiae, all the little details. When, when uh, people come, and just to use this latest example, you know, look at what's going on in Israel. Look at that war. And this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. What do you think? What, what's going to happen next? We don't want to get too caught up in all that because we need to remain looking at the big picture. What's, what's the right question to that answer? What do you think's happening? What do you think is going to happen next? The right question is, if this is the so-called end, if this is the end of time, are you ready? <laughs> 
What do you believe happens to you after you die? I'm thinking the food pantry is a classic example. We, you know, those of you that are giving food out, you're running into people and they're coming in and they've got viewpoints, they've got questions, they've got doubts, they've got concerns. The question is, don't get caught up in the minutia, but what do you think happens to you when you die? Where's this headed? And then you can help them solve that problem with that one question because you know the one answer, right? Jesus. Amen. Let's uh, gather around and pray for one another.